All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. Science in between. Science in between. This is Scott. And I'm Ollie. And, and we are going to talk about science stuff today. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit of science. Yeah. Science so, teaching stuff, I guess. Science teachings. Yeah. You know, I think the, the, so, you know, we've been working with these, you know, this professional development in the state. And I just met with a bunch of those folks just recently. And we were chatting about um, some of the, the, the challenges they were going to experience in trying to get districts and teachers on board with, you know, the new PA science standards, which are aligned to the uh, next generation of science standards. And, and I think the one big shift that they were talking about was the, the process of like, like, doing science right like it's not just about learning sciences like the big book of science mm-hmm. but learning about the the processes and and practices of of science and that was the big shift is that you know cuz i think that you know a lot of parents a lot of schools a lot of you know uh, community members want to see that oh they they learned the big book of science they can say that the you yeah. know the powerhouse of the cell right uh, yeah. Oh, I know. I know. Pick me. <laughs> oh, Scott. <laughs> mitochondria. Yeah, it is the yes, mitochondria. So, so clearly, you know, mm. science, if you can name the powerhouse of the cell. Um, but the differences in, in the next generation world is this, this, the, 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 the doing of science. And, and that means when, and they kept referring to your, like these folks that I met with, they kept referring to your keynote, you know, mm. your, yeah. Up at, uh, up at, um, Colleen's place up in yes. the, um, the Susquehanna you up there. Yeah. Yeah. They were talking, cause you, you, this is the science has no right answers. Yeah, yeah. 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 They were, you're like a rock star. It was it was kind of cool because they were like, Scott is he's dreamy. <laughs> he's dreamy. <laughs> no, I I, I no, said no. that. Yes. I, I, I was the one. That, yeah. I, I heard that in Ollie's voice, not in anybody else's <laughs> voice. Uh yeah, but actually I should we should put that keynote in the sh- in the show notes. I mean that it is post posted publicly up on YouTube. Colleen recorded it and posted it. Yeah. So, so we can put it up there. Yeah. Yeah. No right I mean, answers. I think because I think that what I mean that leads nicely into I think our topic for today yeah. is this this I, the idea of what we're trying to push students to do rather than the the culmination of you know a unit is oh they take a big test and they can blurt out all of their science knowledge bleh. but instead what 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 should be happening is that all of these you know all of the activities all of the you know little you know I don't know. I call we'll call them mini lectures. I don't even want to yeah, avoid right. that. But like any any time where you're talking, introducing um, concepts and things, it's all leading to helping students build evidence based explanations where they're doing it, yeah. where they're doing it, and doing it in a public forum. They're doing it where they're talking it and they're working in small groups and then sharing their ideas out with others. That's the that's the culminating activity of a unit mm-hmm. and that's the that's the thing i think that is the most like the doing science part right because that's like that's where we want to get them to do like that's the goal yeah i th- i mean i i agree sort of so i think the thing that we have to be careful about because we do in you know one of the transitions as we went and this is probably 50 years ago really as we started moving into sort of inquiry based pedagogies and and then eventually in science education there there was a huge wave that started probably in around 2000 that really focused on argumentation 
uh, as a right. key part of science. And uh, and I think one of the things we have to be careful about is only thinking about science as a final form thing, which is this sort of like published paper um, argument that's very structured and formalized. And, you know, CER is a version of that. Um, and while, yeah, that's an important thing, the thing that's potentially more important and we need to keep our eye on is all the sense making that goes on before that. And that's what the whole rest of the unit about is about. And that's what that's what makes it a science unit that the ending bit about arguments and claims, evidence, reasoning, all that stuff, like lots of disciplines do that. What counts as evidence, obviously, is different, but it's all that like beginning part what's my idea how do i make that idea better using evidence how do i talk to other people and use their ideas to make my idea better and all that work that's going on that isn't strictly speaking argumentation it's more just sense making um and actually as long as we're talking about this kind of stuff like talking about the scholarly part of this like greg kelly and i wrote a chapter about this about the overemphasis on um on argumentation and that argumentation is of course important but the vast majority of what scientific talk looks like is sense making talk trying to figure stuff out it's not that formalized that's that's what happens at the end so um so i think it's important well, that's, that's, to remember i think i think that's awesome because greg is like one of the argumentation guys right i mean he he's is. like you know like he's a nature he, of science quote unquote nature of science guy too he's a philosophy of science and right yeah. right and so he yeah. has you know he has created like ways of doing argumentation and yeah. like, you know, pedagogies around that. And so it's kind of cool to see him take, you know, a, 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 crit oh, a critical stance. Sure. Critical stance yeah. to argumentation. So he's like, he's an insider of that, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think he was, I think the reason we wrote that chapter together was a recognition that, um, that at that point we were like science education research was becoming almost exclusively about argumentation. That's an exaggeration, but it felt like that at the time, like all, all everybody ever talked about was argumentation and claims, evidence, reasoning, how important it was to build evidence-based claims for kids. And I think all that's true, but it's the attention to the very end where they're sort of formalizing and finalizing their models and all that. And that that is the thing. It's it's sort of like the difference between a focus on process versus outcome, right? The outcome mm -hmm. should be an evidence-based explanation. That's super important. We want that as as an outcome for, for any science unit. But how you get there is not only maybe more important, but the thing that it's the thing that the current standards so much shift is what's going on before you get to that end point, right? Which is like, what does day-to-day -day class look like? Day-to-day -day class doesn't look like the teacher telling you a bunch of stuff that you're writing in a notebook. Day-to-day -day class should look like we're trying to figure stuff out. And the teacher is, is you know, in a sort of systematized way, giving us new things to try and figure out. Oh, here's, you know, we, we started with this crushing of this tanker, now we're going to look at, you know, what happens when you put a marshmallow in a syringe. It's like, well, what does that got to do with it? Well, let's think about that because this these different phenomena that are related to each other by core underlying ideas help students start to process these connections across. So one of the things that came up with this, in this conversation I had with these folks um, was around around assessment. Mm. Like and Always. and 
Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, that's the. I, it's not a complaint. I, it's no. It's, it's understandable. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, the I think when they're talking about like the shift that's going to happen and and is happening in in classrooms like what do we assess how do we assess and i think that the this is an opportunity for assessment when we look at when we're looking at evidence based explanations it's a place for assessment but i also think there are assessment landmines there right sure. and my worry is the assessment landmine for evidence based explanation is is the explanation correct? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Right, and I think that's because it does it fit with you know the canonical explanation, right? Yeah. And and if it doesn't, then the students get like a bad grade, and if it's a, if it does, they get a good grade, and right. it's like hold hold on, like we need to back up a little bit, um, because it's that that's that's not the goal. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah, it's absolutely not the goal. And I mean, I think the you know, you're you're right. I think that end piece has um has a lot of potential landmines in it. And yeah. it it also has, I mean, it it has a lot of opportunity in it because they No doubt, no doubt. A good version of that assessment is very open, but it's the it's the teacher that puts the landmines in, right? Because they're the ones that decide what counts as a good answer. And so one of the key pieces there is for teachers to really think about what what do I mean by a good answer um, and how do I start to think about a good answer not being about do they know that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell and instead know how a cell operates and does the things that it needs to do, even if that's descriptive and they don't use the word mitochondria, for example. Can they explain the phenomenon that involves the cell and how it behaves and and how, say, water and food get in and out of a cell and how that keeps the cell functioning? Like, okay, if I can explain all that stuff, but I can't say cell wall and mitochondria and mitochondrial DNA and RNA and who who knows what other terminology you want to throw in there, right? Like if I can if I can do that descriptive work, uh, is that still a good answer? Um, and of course I think we would say absolutely. That's what we'd right. love to see. Um because knowing the word mitochondria doesn't improve their explanation very much, um, if at all. Yeah. So so I guess the, the- the, the the things we should probably unpack is like what what are the things that we would expect for students in in an evidence based explanation like what's that process look like and then what are the things that teachers should be assessing and how should they be assessing it I mean yeah yeah I think and and maybe just briefly we we should talk about sort of the arc of a typical unit sure. ambitious science teaching unit so we get a sense of how it comes to this endpoint because there may be people who haven't who don't know or haven't heard. Right. This could be their first episode in science in between, and, and they might so not welcome. have heard. Yeah, yeah, and they might not have heard the uh, ambitious science teaching because um, we did a whole series on just the four practices way back. I mean, in the day. we were just saying today, Ali. We've been doing this for two and a half years. If if you are interested in something that has to do with science education, we probably, probably have an episode. We probably about talked it. about it, and we probably have more than one. Yeah, <laughs> just they're 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 named funny things. Yeah. That's all, yeah. <laughs> or not oh. at all. Right. Or oh. perhaps not at all. Ouch. Um, but and we, and we are making no claims to the to the quality or the amount that it will improve your understanding of these things. But we definitely talk right. about them. Yeah. Uh, so we're good at we're good at the talking part. That boy, part howdy. Boy, howdy. Um, so the so the arc of a unit 
uh, typically in ambitious science teaching, you begin with students' initial ideas. So they build some sort of explanation or model of the thing that you're trying to understand. Like, again, we can talk about this tanker crushing thing, which is a classic AST phenomenon where, um, and then, so it doesn't really matter what the phenomenon is, but kids develop their own initial explanation. And the job at that point of the teacher is just to get to elicit that stuff out, get kids ideas out and as clear as clearly stated as they can make it. And then the teacher provides a series of experiences with materials, which we would, you know, sometimes get called hands-on for reasons Hands on mind academics. I know. <laughs> so, so we we provide them with these phenomenological experiences where they're engaging with something in in the world, and usually collecting data or or doing some analysis, and that provides. And so, there's a series, let's say, of six of se- six or seven, four or five of those, and then at the end, they return to that initial model and they use these experiences that they've had and the data and evidence that they've developed from those experiences to improve their original model. They go back and say, "Okay, well, now I know more about this part of it, so I'm going to expand and improve my explanation, and I'm also going to use the evidence that we developed as part of a class." So when I make claims about how this thing works, I can say, and the reason we know that is because we have evidence and the evidence came from these previous experiences that we had. Yeah. So that's and sort so, of the big arc. Right. And in the, in the, in the AST and, and you should check out the ambitious science teaching website or the book, if this is all new to you, um, because when Shittle Thompson and Bratton. Yeah. Who, those, who are those authors? Wicked smart people. You yeah. know, and the website's really strong. Their their yeah. website's pretty awesome. Um, but the you know, and we're building a lot of our professional development that we've been doing with the folks around around Pennsylvania around these practices. And so, um, this is actually the next one that we'll be doing. You know, down the road a little bit. Um, this this practice, this the idea around evidence based explanations. And so, right. you know, it. We're, we're we're doing twofold here. One, we're having an episode, but two, you and I are kind of doing some pre-planning. With this. Pre-planning. <laughs> Look yeah. at us. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we, maybe we won't even have to do the February session, so we can just say go listen to the podcast. It's, yeah. It's Check it's it. it. I mean, Check. it's got all you need to know. Yeah. That's it. Just listen. That's it. Forget it. Yeah. Forget it. Because this, so awesome. this, this, this is so awesome. This is awesome. I mean, unbelievable. Like yes. all, all the all the knowledge that's getting poured into your ear holes right now is just it's astonishing. Even though that's not well, the way I, learning works. No, it is not. You know, I, th- I think they they could get something out of this, but I think yeah. interacting with one another and, and interacting and talking because that's actually one of the you know really critical for this uh, this practice is yeah. the the idea that they're that students are going to engage with other students, right? They're going to yeah. talk with one another, share their ideas in some sort of public way. To be able to, you know, almost put it up for, you know, larger conversations because yeah. um, that's how science works right you now. Right. And this is this is the I mean, when we're talking about evidence based explanations, what we're really talking about, again, is that that rebuilding of the model. Um, so it's sort of the summative. It's not sort of it's the summative assessments, the thing that goes at the end of the unit. It's the thing where kids get their final opportunity, at least in the context of this unit, to express their understanding of this thing in terms of the science that they've learned, right? So 
a lot of it at the end then becomes about what the teacher wants that process to look like. So I can spin out at least one version of that and then we can talk about it um, and strengths and weaknesses or whatever variation that you could do. But typically what happens is, well, first of all, typically what happens in these classrooms is there's some mechanism for tracking all this stuff. So we talk about a summary table as being summary tables, that, yeah. that typically gets done, right? And a summary table is just what it sounds like. It's a table that's a summary of the activities. And the first row is sort of the activity that we did. The second row is the is the evidence that we gathered, the things that we sort of saw. And then the third row is what kind of claims we think we can make based on that evidence. And then maybe there's a fourth row that talks about how it's connected to the larger phenomenon. So there's some variation on that. They don't all look the same. They don't all have the same columns exactly. But the point is that this is publicly available for all kids and they can keep track of all these activities that have been going on in the classroom. So they have sort of a running record of the activities that they've engaged in so they can remember the evidence they have to draw on. And again, that's public, right? So typically when you get to these summative assessments, that's a piece kids are allowed to use as part of the final assessment. It's not, okay, we're going to develop this summary table and now it's test time. So put that summary table away right. and, and just sit and do your thing, right? So um, that that's a tracking mechanism. And then how does that final assessment work? Well, again, there's lots of variation, but typically the way I've seen it, it starts with groups. So you get a group of students together and they try to write an explanation using the evidence that they have. They go back to their old models, they use their lab notebooks, they look at the summary table, and they start developing their own explanation as a group, right? And then at some point that stops and you the next phase is that you ask the individual students to write up their own explanation. So they do you do individually assess um, now so, with, with that, with that explanation, the individual explanation, like one of the things, one of the resources I've seen, and I don't know if you've seen this actually in practice, but like, like checklists, like, and not yeah. by che like a checklist that it's not like, Hey, does it have 250 words or does it do this? It's like, instead it's a, a checklist that's designed specifically for the the content in the unit that right. they're they're working on. So it's like drawing, you know, pulling on this or drawing yeah. on this, how does this happen? Not necessarily giving specific language that they have to include, but you know, definitely, you know, directing the students that they have to somehow bring in some concept or some, you know, principle or some sort of idea that they have to fit that into their explanation. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. It's important that to to clarify that when the student, even when the students get to the point where they're writing their own individual explanations, though it's not like you're giving them a blank piece of paper, like when you're in college and you get a blue blue book blue notebook book. and you have to go write in your whole answer in that. Right? It's not like that at all. As Ali's describing, it's a much more scaffolded activity, yep. and so it has, you know, typically the, it has a couple of pieces. So one piece would be something called an idea list that has um, has the quote unquote terminology that that they've learned because you know again we talk about it's not that we don't want kids to know the scientific terminology it's when the scientific terminology comes into the conversation it doesn't come into the conversation at the beginning when they don't know what it means it comes into the conversation at the end when they do so saying things like um, you know, we want to, we want you to talk about in your explanation, we want you to talk about diffusion, or we want you to talk about the mitochondria in the cell, or we want you to talk about um, what a molecule is, right? And 
So you might have a list of those things. Like, don't forget in your explanation, these are some of the things you could be talking about. That said, there's also some other lists. So typically another list might be um, uh, the sort of components of your explanation. So did you explain this part of the phenomenon? Did you explain this part of the phenomenon? Did you like, did you explain how water gets into the cell? Did you explain how food gets into the cell? Right? So there would be a list of just, hey, are, these are some things you should think about explaining. And then the last thing that's often included is um, evidence, what the evidence was. So that's sort of like the summary table, right? It's a list of the the experiments or the activities that we did. Oh, we did that thing about the naked egg where where we took the shell off an egg and put put it in a in different um, in different uh, solutions. And don't forget that because that had there's evidence there that you can use to help your explanation. So reminding them of the activities that they did too. So again, it's a it's very scaffolded, and then they have to write from there. Yeah, and I think that. When, you know, we're so many schools are so literacy focused right now, which I am not, not, it's not a negative, right? It's like, yeah. I'm just saying it, it is a, uh, an observation, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that this really provides some opportunities for some cross curricular work, right? Cause sure. I mean, the students are writing more in this than, you know, doing like a multiple choice exam or, yeah. you know, problem solving exam where they're just, you know, you know, plug and chug problems, right? These are absolutely. These, these are ones where it's like it's critical thinking and ba- making you know like making it a good argument based on evidence is is like is really hard stuff. Yeah. This is like more cognitively challenging and engaging than the typical things that students would be doing. Right. And there's tons of I mean I think you know we've talked about this obviously, but there are tons of interconnections here that that this form of pedagogy lends itself to much more than traditional science. And certainly literacy is one of them, right? Because all along things that you should be doing are if you're having kids write claims, evidence, reasoning, sorts of, of statements in class. Well, one of the things you should be doing is putting those up and analyzing those and talking through them. How do you write a good claim? How do you write, how do you bring evidence in to support that claim? And that's writing. That's not about science. That, that, process of how do you make a good claim and support it with evidence that's valuable across curriculum right like yeah. that and so and then the second thing is especially as you move into upper middle school and into high school increasingly these explanations are going to require mathematics right like if you're talking about um phase change you may have a phase change diagram like graph that of data that you took as an ice cube melted or something and so now, not only do you have to explain that in words, you have to use the math and point out the way the graph works and show what it shows as a form of evidence. And that is is deeply mathematical. So math begins as you move into those disciplines in high school where math becomes a more important part of science. Increasingly, they, kids have to use math as part of their explanation. And again, not in a plug and chug sort of way, like, okay, do 15 projectile motion problems, but <laughs> more like, okay, like, why is the path of a ball look like that? And you have to use math to explain that. Yeah, I think, you know, the other thing that, you know, w- at this session we I just attended recently was the in the conversation around assessment and so the assessment here you know how do we assess this and I think there's some ideas with this and I think you know 
providing some, you know, rubrics to like, you mm-hmm. know, assess the explanation. Again, not the, you know, whether it's, you know, correct or not, but whether it's drawing on the evidence and whether, you know, the students have, um, you know, made claims that are evidence-based and, mm-hmm. you know, having a model that, you know, is inclusive of the data and the experiences that they've had. And they're using the language, you know, in ways that reflect the experiences that they've had. You know, those yeah. are, those are like, I mean, that, that, that to me seems would be, I want to say easy, but it, it seems pretty logical, right? I mean, that, yeah. that, that would be the way we would assess. But the other conversation that, you know, Wait, before, before, you, before uh, you move on for that, because I want to add one thing. I mean, that's one of the advantages of that scaffolded document for kids is you've got a, in some sense, a rubric built in because you've asked them to explain these five things. Well, one aspect of your rubric should be, did they explain all five of those things? Now, then you can talk about the quality of that explanation, but they, you know, an easy cut through that as a rubric is, did they explain all these things? Did they, did they use all the terms and concepts that they were asked to use and to what degree were those used appropriately. Now, I don't want that to be a point system either, but there are, there are structures even in the way that you give the assessment that automatically give you a rubric for how to, how to uh, evaluate it. Yeah. That, well, the other part was, with was of course the state assessment. Yeah. Right. Sure. Which is a but whole I, different animal, right? Like, right. Right. Absolutely. But I think that the the one thing that we have to like, I don't know, our flag in is if the students can do this kind of reasoning and they can do this kind of like sense making putting them in environments this is going to help prepare them to be in environments where they may not always know the answer like there might be a like you know hey well we never did that you know i i don't know how to answer that question because we never did that yeah but this is preparing them to be able to you know look at any situation if, as long as it's not like a, you know, what's the powerhouse of a sale question, right? I yeah, mean, they, right. if it's if it's just knowledge based, if those are the assessments, then you know, yeah, this type of you know, instruction, this kind of you know, ways of thinking, isn't going to you know help students with that. It's not going to help them at trivia night at the bar, right? No, not much anyway. Um, no. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's important to say. I think. I think the state assessments are what the state assessments are. I mean, they just will be. And I think, you know, increasingly when when I'm having conversations with teachers or when we are in, because this came up in sessions that we've run, um, I think what we're saying is, look, in Pennsylvania, the biology is the big bugaboo because that's the one that has been had at the high school level, its own test. And it's, and it's, um, so it, there's a lot of pressure on biology teachers in Pennsylvania in terms of of testing and a lot less as a, as a consequence on all the other folks in high school, which has pros and cons for those. Well, it has pros for those folks and cons for biology folks. But one of the things I say to biology teachers when I'm talking with them is, look, the content of biology has has changed almost not at all in the last 50 years. So the test is not going to like what constitutes the body of knowledge that they're testing is not going to change with a new assessment. Now, that doesn't mean that the way they do it isn't going to be different, though. I'm less optimistic that that's going to be much different either. Um, But 
you know, what they're going to do is they're going to ask a mix of sort of the trivia questions, like you've said, like what's the powerhouse of the cell? They're going to ask some application questions. I mean, it's going to be very Bloom's taxonomy, if we're being honest, right? Where they're going to have a, a bunch of different kinds of questions. And, you know, the the thing is old forms, traditional forms of pedagogy uh, are only marginally good at helping kids memorize those terms as well. So it's not like a good form of pedagogy that helps kids with all the upper part of Bloom's taxonomy thinking and make it easier for them to answer those questions. Yeah. They may miss some of the ones that are the trivia, but the kids who learned it in, in a more traditional way are going to miss a bunch of those too, because they're just not going to remember them because they only remember so much. And the older it was, the less likely it is to remember. So so for me, I feel like the state assessment you should just say, let it be what it's going to be. Let's right. let's teach in a way that is is we know is going to help kids understand the science, and then be confident that it's gonna it's gonna work, that it's gonna help them perform well on the exam. But the, but ultimately, the goal is not for us to prepare them for these tests. Well, you know, yes, our 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 goal <laughs> from is from our point of view. Yeah, from from my point of view, from your point of view, the 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 goal is to help them. I mean, I'm looking at this as being better citizens, right? You know, and I think that the more that we help students be able to understand, you know, evidence or how to, you know, examine evidence and, and, and make claims and understand claims or assess claims made by people, Mm -hmm. right? You know, that's the power of this. The power is that, I mean, that they, they can call BS, that's, I think that I mean that's a better assessment. Can they call BS on somebody? You know, because yeah. like there are lots of people who are spouting lots of BS that you know that you, they should be going. Oh no, hold on. You know, I, I shouldn't be buying those the the, the, the magnetic bracelets or right. I you know or I shouldn't be you know following this this guy who is saying if I you know drink you know seven glasses of orange juice a day that I'll you know. Yeah. If, yeah, if pe- yeah, people are telling you about quantum nutrition and uh, right. you know walking barefoot get get and putting your feet directly in contact with the earth gives you electrons directly for, I've heard this. This is the actual thing I've heard. Electrons See, I was just like making stuff up, you know. No, no, like this is a th- this is a thing uh that the electrons from the earth are are revitalizing your body as you walk, right? Because there's all these and then they go into all this quantum gobbledygook about who knows what. So yeah, I mean, people take, this has been a long-standing tradition of snake oil salesmen to take a part of science and sort of take it out of context and twist it and turn it into a support for their particular form of snake oil. Um, And I think, you know, one of the things I would say to use a little science ed fancy language here, some, some, uh, let me get out my pen. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's going to be, it's one of your favorite words is involved, right? Which is the idea that what we really want students to do is an epistemic critique, right? We want them to be able to understand how this knowledge came to be not so much. Is this knowledge right or wrong? Because again, right or wrong is not the the way that we want to think about this. But the question is, what is the foundation for this knowledge? Where did it come from? What are the sources? What is the evidence? How do we know that this particular claim is well supported in an authentic way, as opposed to 
walking barefoot on the earth gives you like special electrons as if the earth's electrons are somehow different than the electrons in my body or in any other place. Well, they're earth electrons. I mean, I know, know? but I didn't want to say that. Versus body electrons versus, you know. Body electrons are so gross. They, they're always shedding off into the environment. That's That's where dust comes from. Ugh, so bad. I know. Um, and if you heard any of that sarcastic conversation between Ali and I and thought that we were being serious about electrons, no, no. all electrons no. are the same, whether they're from the earth or from your nose hairs, doesn't matter. All the same electrons. <laughs> nose so, hair electron. Well, yeah. Oh, I mean, those are the most uh, valuable electrons on earth. <laughs> um, I mean, my particular nose hair electrons, not just anybody's. Sorry, we've degenerated right. into complete we have. nonsense. We, Sorry. Absolutely. But let uh, let me return to the, the to the actual point of that, which was this idea. You know, we talk about epistemic agency. We talk about and just a reminder: epistemic means it is about knowing. is is about the basis of knowledge. What counts as knowledge, and why some knowledge is considered better knowledge than other kinds. And in science. We have a pretty systematic way of determining which knowledge we consider to be better and which knowledge we consider to be not as productive. And that is all based on evidence and reasoning. It's not it's not based on who says the idea, um, at least in practice, in, in theory, it's not that way. Of course, we have a long history of it being that way a little bit. But um, but what we're trying to enculturate into students is the idea that I need to understand how this knowledge came to be because that's how I know if it is trustworthy, productive, um, likely to be a a useful way to make decisions about my life. So I need to know how that knowledge was developed. And our school systems are not designed to help kids do that right now. So this that's the foundational purpose of what we're trying to push here, which is to get kids to understand how is knowledge generated in science? Yeah, so uh, the epistemic agency is is my my way of saying calling BS, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. It it is. It is the you understanding that you have both the right and the responsibility. It's like right. voting. You have the right and the responsibility to say, wait. I want to know where this knowledge came from, how it was derived, what it is based on. I don't want you to just tell me some cockamamie conspiracy theory and and i'm supposed to believe it just because you said it like i want to know where was this derived from and i mean that we we go down that that rabbit hole and all the crazy stuff that follows that but but if we have people who are who understand that and can engage with the world that way you're at least more likely to get them to understand when they're being duped yeah all right all right so i Want to talk about Joyce? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Ollie's done. No, I don't know. I mean, nothing. Well, I mean, I think we 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 talked a bit about you know the 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 scaffolds that teachers should you know create or build and and include to help facilitate the um explanation process. We talked about how to assess this. At least gave some ideas on you know ways to do it and ways to not do it. you know, and I think that talking about that arc in a unit, because this is that sort of culminating activity, but it's also um, the whole part, the whole process is science, right? The whole process is sense making and explanation based and evidence, you know, drawing evidence and collecting evidence. And, you know, yeah, I think 
you know? Yeah. There's yeah a, I mean, there was we, a lot. It was a lot. There's a lot of stuff there, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the takeaway, like you're talking about, is that, you know, the, the evidence-based explanation is for ambitious science teaching or these forms of pedagogy, it's sort of the summative assessment. Yep. So, you know, you want to have that in mind as you're planning all the rest of your teaching, like what's the goal, where are you headed and where you're headed is to having kids develop these evidence-based explanations where they were the ones that engaged in gathering and thinking about the evidence leading up to that end point. So, yeah. yeah. All right. How about all Joyce? Right. All right. Some joys. I got some joys. Um, well, I'm going to, I don't know if we've, I'm, we probably have done this before, but I am going to, um, I'm going to, you know, we're coming out of the holiday season and we talked about food a little. So I'm going to talk bet. about the other holiday season thing that often comes at the holidays, which is the drink part of the holidays because ah, it is a food and drink. So, um, I'm going to just mention something that brought me joy over the holidays is um, a beer and a particular <laughs> kind of beer, and, uh, which was uh, beer from a brewery up in Massachusetts called Treehouse Brewing. Uh, um, and they have really nice beers. And I, they're probably also, I probably also enjoy them because they're not distributed. So somebody has to be go. in Massachusetts and get the beer and bring it back to this location. So that probably adds a little, um, you know, sort of mystery and, and, uh, goodness to the beer that, that wouldn't be there if I could go down to the local store and buy it. But, but my neighbor, uh, has a son who lives in Massachusetts and he makes, he and his wife, they make semi-frequent trips up to Massachusetts to see their son. And it just happens that they often stop at Treehouse Brewing on the way home and are able to bring beer back. So they did that over the holidays. So I got to enjoy some Treehouse beer. I still have some in my fridge. I, I hoard it a little bit, but uh, it's, uh, you know, if you are a beer drinker uh, and can get your hands on some, there's lots of good beer out there these days, so it's not like, oh, I got to wait for this. But um, it's really yummy. So beer. I should try beer. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Beer is yeah. something that <laughs> like, I should Talk about try. preaching to the choir. <laughs> <laughs> Three House is one of those places that I, I definitely want to hit someday. Uh, yeah. It's a some, beautiful, beautiful We have some place. friends uh, that live outside of Boston, and, and they're always like, yeah, we should go. We should go. Yeah. And, it, you know, everything I read online about that place is just, you know, amazing. And, you know, I, I guess – yeah, it's it is one of those like you know what are they white white elephants like those yeah. you know the the beers that people you know say you gotta search out. I my joy, yep. Scott is going to be a joy that you shared a bunch of episodes ago. That I do you know what it is? No, but I can't wait. So this is probably you know I don't know like twenty or thirty episodes ago you were talking about the Broken Earth trilogy. Oh, and, yeah. And so I was you know I I just got back for from a trip um to Paris and and we, we could talk about Paris for a whole episode if we wanted to. Um, but no one wants to hear about my no. you know trips to the fancy you know, privileged life no. of Christmas in Paris. Nobody, <laughs> yeah. nope. Nobody wants to hear that. So instead, since I was going to be spending a lot of time on a plane, and you know, I, I downloaded some books, and one of the things I I said was, you know what, I you know Scott had talked about this book, um, this book series, and you know, fantasy science fiction stuff isn't 
like it's not been my cup of tea for a while. Like I, I read a lot of it when I was in, you know, mm-hmm. in middle school and high school and even in, in early college, but that's a genre I haven't, like I've, I've done a lot of the, um, you know, Game of Thrones stuff. Um, but I haven't really dipped much into that genre in, in, in decades. And so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I ate up the first book. The first book is the f- fifth season. It was mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. And, and I'm midway through the second book, which is the o- obelisk gate. Ga- gate um yep. yeah and so the author you know is uh her, her name is uh nk jemison mm-hmm. and i knew nothing about this person prior to reading um it, she is so the uh hugo awards are the big yeah. you know awards in in science fiction and she was the first author to win three in a row like year after year after year and it was for this book this book series and these are mammoth books yeah you know to think that they came out year like what 2015 2016 and 2017 is pretty amazing and then she won for those three years and then she just won a uh, her fourth hugo just recently um so awesome stuff awesome books um i'm in i'm you know, it's just like the first one is so I'm, I, I don't want to say too much about it because it'll, uh, you know, some uh, there's a mystery like it's mystery. You know, yeah. it's a mystery. It's like because it's being told sure. in a really non-traditional like there are mm-hmm. these three characters that you're reading about and you're like wondering like how these things are all connected and where yeah. it's going. And and then when, and then I was just like and then it kind of just like abruptly ends. Like yeah. I was just like, what? Like yeah. that's how this book is going to end. And it's like no, you're almost. It's almost mean spirited it is it's not like it's it's almost like when you're watching like a like a tv show and it's like see you next season it's like hold on you can't like you can't leave it like that you know and then yeah it so it is just uh brilliant writing um really novel storytelling and i think the 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 other part i appreciate is the world building like they're yeah. like she put a lot of thought into this the the world that she built and yeah. like and you know yeah and that to me is just impressive when somebody like you know george r, r. martin writes you know game of thrones yeah. she creates a whole you know world you yeah. know and that's what she's done with this book series it's just is amazing yeah yeah yeah, no, I mean it's fabulous, and I I think I have now read literally every book that she's written. So, because um, I dug into other series after this one, um, yeah, it's I mean she's amazing, fantastic. I mean she won three Hugo's in a row. I mean it's like yeah. it's like saying yeah that uh, you know that Martin Scorsese he's a pretty good director. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you know <laughs> that's Steven not. Spielberg. He's a guy. I, he's I think a guy. something there. Yeah. You should watch that guy because he's yeah. got something going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So NK Jemison, get out there, get it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Big fan. Yeah. All right, man. Well, that was good. Good joys. Sure. Good, good talk about special electrons. We, we covered it all. Yeah. Like this, I, the special electrons, I think is the the thing I've got to do a little bit more research on. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, you know. it's a rabbit hole, but it, it'll pay off for you because your life will be better. And I'm going to walk around barefoot outside in the yard, you know? Yeah. Well, there's lots of good reasons to do it, but it's not because of the electrons. I'll just say uh, that. Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, well, hey, catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. Bye now.